On November 30th, 2022, AI finally reached the mass consciousness of humanity with the launch of ChatGPT, reaching more than 100 million users in just two months. And since then, AI apps and tools and integrations, they continue to grow at an exponential pace as financial brand leaders try to cut through the confusion with a mix of both excitement as well as caution. That's why on today's episode of Banking on Digital Growth, we're going to explore the opportunities for growth as well as potential pitfalls to avoid as we continue to journey forward together in this new age of AI. Greetings and hello, my name is James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome my friend Connor Heaton to the show. He is the VP of Intelligent Automation and AI at Strategic Resource Management, and today we're going to gain some awareness of opportunities for transformation, opportunities for growth when it comes to new AI tools commonly termed large language models or LLMs that are spreading throughout the financial services space while also established technology vendors scramble to integrate them into their current offerings. We're going to also dive into and discuss potential pitfalls, pitfalls that you need to watch out for, pitfalls that you need to avoid that can trip you up on your own journey of growth in this age of AI Welcome to the show, Connor. It is good to share time with you today. Thanks so much, James. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And before we get into talking about AI and LLMs, what is good in your world right now, personally or professionally? It's your pick to get started. Sure. Uh, honestly, I'll, I'll go with uh, just the the developments in AI. I mean, the the space is moving tremendously fast. You know, there's there's too much to keep up with, which is kind of a good problem to have. Uh, and seeing how things are unfolding is is tremendously exciting. Also, just having uh, new tools launch you know, every other day, it seems, that solve problems that I've wanted to solve for, for a long time. Uh, I, my, my first uh, project responsibility ever, really, um, was meeting minutes for, for federal clients. And with AI tools, that's that's basically a thing of the past. Yes. Um, so it's it's kind of cool just seeing all these things realized so quickly. Well, I like the way that you have framed this. This is about solving problems that uh, you've been wanting to solve for a very long time. And if we go back uh, in in kind of just recent history, it's uh, not not too too long ago. It was November thirtieth, twenty twenty two that will say AI reached the mass consciousness of humanity um, with the launch of ChatGPT. And I'm curious to get your take on this. Why is this an important date to consider? Because it wasn't that long ago. Sure. So I think you put it well when you said this is when AI kind of entered the mass consciousness because uh, AI technologies have been around in some form or fashion, depending on, on what we're classifying as technology since 1960s or so, uh, when the some of the first algorithms were really being developed. Um, and it's had a number of kind of summers and winters of investment and <laughs> excitement. Um, and uh, really, November 22nd, with the sort of explosion of ChatGPT, uh, marks, I would say, a, a new era of 
awareness and democratization of AI tools. So uh, before AI was embedded in a lot of the things that we do, there was some level of awareness that when Netflix recommended shows to us or Amazon recommended products or our social media feed showed us something from a particular friend that there was machine learning working in the background to decide and, and feed those things to us. Uh, but it wasn't really something that people outside of academia or tech or engineering really spent a lot of time for the most part working with. Uh, and so having having the launch of ChatGPT and immediately useful, interesting and delightful tool just for free um, with all of these capabilities that are that are shockingly refined compared to sort of past iterations of the same thing, because you know, there was there's a GPT-2, there was an Instruct GPT, uh, you know, the the transformer architecture has been around for a while, and I had actually played around with it a little bit, you know, some years prior, um, but it just wasn't to a point where it had the immediate and obvious usability, and it wasn't something that was put out there and, and able to kind of go viral and, and impress and fuel the news cycle. Yes. So it was it was really, I think, just a a coincidence of the capabilities hitting a new and important benchmark and that being accessible and and uh, testable by just about everyone um and so that was a you know perfect fuel perfect timing for it to to go viral and really get a ton of attention and start to fuel this massive rise of ai investment and development and productization that we've been seeing ever since Yes. And, you know, one of the things that you were discussing is it's AI has been around, but it wasn't accessible to the quote unquote masses. You you touched on machine learning or ML. And I, I think it's important to just pause for a minute to help those watching and, and listening to gain some clarity about the relationship between AI and LLMs or large language models, this is an area you spend a lot of time thinking about. What's the context here for, for someone watching and listening to, to be aware of? Sure. So AI, artificial intelligence, it means a lot of things, and that makes talking about it somewhat <laughs> difficult, uh, right? You know, it's, it's the buzzword. We've yep. been hearing it in different spaces, different ways for a long time. Um, but uh, when it comes down to it, it's it refers to a whole spectrum of technologies that are in some way uh, fueled by um, by machine learning, where instead of a program, a software being explicitly coded to take a series of steps, do a particular thing, uh, it instead is coded to learn from a set of examples uh, in order to uh, guide its ultimate behaviors, right? And so that's that's used in any number of of things uh right it's in image recognition it's in speech recognition and processing it's in sentiment analysis it's in uh, document extraction optical character recognition uh, all different kinds of analytics uh it's in digital assistance it's in natural ge language generation it's in image generation now um uh, you know it's in knowledge representation um any any number of areas, right? So so the way that I tend to think about AI and what I tell clients is that you should think about AI as infrastructure. It's mm. it's how something is done. It's not a what, really. There are AI products. There are products built on top of AI. There are products that are, you know, 
just regular code with AI bolt-on for some piece of it. Um, there are tools that have trained up an algorithm, you know, like like loan decisioning, for example, um, or or uh, uh, customer segmentation, which have maybe trained up uh, on their algorithm that on a, a set of of data, and that's machine learning, that's AI. But in terms of how it executes it, it's not learning in an ongoing fashion, right? It's it's a bolt-on that provides one piece of a broader technology solution. Um, and so that varies solution to solution, how much sort of ML is, is in it, but uh, usually it's it's a piece, it's a it's a how, uh, it's not a what. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about doing AI or investing in, in AI, usually we're talking about solutions that are built on top of, of AI in some form or fashion. What surprised you most since the launch of, of chat GPT thinking about the pace of change is not just the pace of change. It's really the pace of exponential change that we have experienced since then in, in all different areas. Um, if you think back, you know, to 1994, you had the launch of the internet, essentially once again, reaching the mass consciousness of humanity. It had been around in academia before that, but in 1994, I think it's, it's fun to go back and watch how, uh, the internet was being talked about on the, like the today show, uh, what is email, um, and things that we take for granted. It's almost history is repeating itself now where there's some confusion. Uh, there's some hope, there's some optimism. There's some, some people are scared about this, but what surprised you, uh, most, Oh, just thinking back, you know, to uh, November of 2022 with the launch of chat GPT. Sure. So I, I have, something uh that that's specific that i'll get to but in terms of like the the explosion of investment i'm maybe a little surprised by its magnitude um but less surprised by kind of the course that things have taken so so i was working in automation um uh, specifically robotic process automation um back in my deloitte days before you know the the current kind of ai renaissance and the the way that a lot of these things tend to work with technologies that primarily automate tasks um, is there's a paradigm shift, there's a new type of technology, there's an advancement, a new architecture, and that's used to, uh, there's sort of like that seminal moment when it comes out and the market realizes that it's valuable and can be productized outside of the research space. Mm. Uh, and then the next kind of five to 25 years, depending on, on what technology we're looking at, uh, are spent then building that into the business environment. Um, it, it Taking that core capability and productizing it in hundreds or thousands of different ways uh, to go from that fundamental sort of new finding, new capability that lets new things be possible, and then making those uh, easier and more accessible for industry to use. And also adapting uh, business processes and adapting industries and roles and structures uh, and you know, services, entire industries sometimes around that automation. And that's that's just the history of how this sort of thing works, right? When when we moved from from switchboards mm -hmm. uh, to to centralized telephone routing, uh, we moved to cell phones. Um, you know, the the introduction of spreadsheets, spreadsheet software, and ultimately Excel, right? It, it you know accounting used to be done very differently. Uh, and 
you know, now it's just kind of second nature trust. This is just, this is just how we do things. Um, but there was a, a whole period after the introduction of those tools. There were early adopters, there were late adopters, uh, and a lot of old business processes didn't match perfectly with the new capabilities. And so there's this adjustment on both ends. On the vendor side, on the solution side, you have the tools getting more usable. And on the client side, you have the business processes being re-engineered to work better and take better advantage of the tools to maximize the value getting out of them. So I'm not, I'm not actually too surprised by the direction things have taken with AI investment, because I think we're seeing very much the same thing right now. Um, what I didn't expect perhaps about this, this, uh, this newest architecture is the level of emergent capabilities, which is, you know, kind of like a, I don't know, an imprecise word in, in this field because it can refer to so much. It's very vague and sometimes it's used as like a blanket, just the model did something we don't really understand how <laughs> so right. it's emergent. Um, but, but I, it's, it's the case, it's the case where seeing just the massive spectrum of domains where large language models have had a huge impact and, and rapidly, right. We could not just in a, a research capacity or in a, this is something that concerns data scientists, but in a way that this substantially transforms different industries and how we, you know, how we understand and do things. Right. So it's, it's not just a, uh, a bot that can produce text and extrapolate from text uh, to to you know, try, try to finish writing a chapter of a novel, right? Uh, or to to write marketing copy. It's a, a virtual assistant that's shockingly capable from everything from uh, summarizing lots of data to uh, analyzing tone to uh, uh, evaluating new content to copy editing to code generation and, and code review, um, you know, and then if you hook that up to the right things, you can code websites, you know, basically uh, from, from a prompt, you can generate images. If you add in uh, like a, the, the particular framework that's being used to generate images from static and you add in some of that semantic understanding, it's, it's just been a, a kind of puzzle piece that has, slotted in in so many different places um and particularly the the ability to sort of reason uh that that has come out of this from just feeding these architectures enough data the right data doing the right training and fine tuning um to let them basically draw on their training sets to say what's a sensible next course of action given xyz input and and that's uh, enabled some truly insane things like uh, what surprised me most, I think, when I saw it some months back was um, some of the impacts to robotics, which I know isn't really a financial industry sort of area, but um, it, it was it was crazy to me to see a demo of, uh, I think, Google's Palm E um, that was able to plan and execute actions or basically have, have the large language model acting in some sense as the brain reasoning to interpret the visual input. Uh, to say, you know, what am I looking at? Then what do I need to do? What's the what's the plan and sequence of actions to take here? And then that being able to be translated automatically in real time into instructions for a physical robot body to uh, to, to flexibly complete tasks, you know, to pick up objects, uh, clean things up, get something from a drawer, 
and and to have that be resilient to interference you know i mean we've all we've all seen the boston dynamics videos yes. of, of those robots adjusting right but that's that a lot of that is kind of the is more hard coded um but like the the reasoning or the appearance of reasoning that you get out of these and hooking that into agentic models you know things that can act as agents in the physical or virtual world that is something that that uh it really threw me and and this is i, I want to stay on this point for just a bit longer about exponential change because what you're speaking to is not just impacting financial services. It's impacting all different areas of life. The robotics is a great example, but we also can look at healthcare. We can look at education. Uh, we can look at, you know, what is this going to do to transportation even? Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's almost like the paradox of choice. Um, there's just so much for our little linear brains to uh, process that it becomes a little complex and overwhelming. And if technology is moving on an exponential curve and we're linear thinkers moving this way, it's creating this gap. Um, and I know there are a number of financial brand leaders uh, who feel like they've been hit by an AI avalanche, particularly coming out of the COVID chaos. And I've had some conversations with CEOs, with executives, I've been on the road speaking and a good number of them, they're tired. They're, they're, they're tired, they're overwhelmed from all of the changes that they've had to deal with going back to early 2020. Um, I said this, you know, back then, early podcast, that this is going to be a, a decade of exponential change, not even really kind of thinking about AI at the moment. It was more of a COVID perspective. Um, and, and many are just trying to keep their heads above water. Um, their perspective, though, I think, of the future is directly and will directly impact and influence how they think and make decisions now here in the present moment. So thinking about this pace of exponential change and some of the perspective that you just shared that, yeah, it might not be financial, financial services related directly. It will indirectly impact this vertical. How can uh, financial brand leaders keep up with all of the change going on right now in this age of AI? Sure. So I, I guess I will, I'll take that question and break it into two pieces. Sure. One is how do you keep up informationally? And then two is how do you actually keep up, keep up in terms of ability to cope as an organization and to adapt? Um, the, the answer to the first one, I think hasn't changed substantially. AI is a wonderful set of tools for data summary. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have, Lots of articles that that cross my email or desk in some form or fashion, um, and you know the ones that are are longer and don't need precise detail, I will absolutely feed through large language models to to get a summary. You know, there's free tools to do that with YouTube videos. Um, you know, there there are many many options, many of them free even to help process more data more quickly. And that's you know I. I SRM is a relatively small company. I'm sure that this is a much more refined pipeline at other places where it's, you know, auto automatic data scraping of news articles, uh, improved summarization. And like those, those sort of pipeline tools have existed uh, for a long time, longer than these AI uh, sort of new capabilities. But now, you know, like, like I was talking about earlier, it's more accessible, it's cheaper, it's easier, it's better. Um, and so, so there are absolutely tools to help sort of ingest more information sooner. And I think as, as always with this, you need to understand your priorities. So having a strong strategy and knowing how are you planning to win in your space? What matters to your customers or members? 
uh, how how are you going to compete into the future? It helps to guide and and bring that fire hose of information down to a more manageable level. Um, it is important, I think, to still sometimes go outside of that typical lane to to you know, there's, that's where you see some really exciting innovations or where you you see surprising solutions to problems sometimes. But uh, you know, for the day to day keeping up, I think that's that's what I would recommend. As far as adaptation, the other half of this, um, something I talk about a lot with executives is change agility. So as you said, you know, change is exponential. Things are getting faster and faster. Um, you know, there's the classic kind of Moore's law of computing that's been you know, taken and applied a whole bunch of other places as far as like just the pace of change. And, and you know, even looking at AI particularly, um, you know, we in computing in general, uh, we went from mechanical computing uh, to programming. That was 1900 to 1950, 50 years or so. Uh, you know, we got into more of the digital era in like 30 or so years. We entered the sort of early cognitive era in the 2000s and uh, 2020, we're having this like AI explosion, right? Going from uh, mechanical tools to digital and like increasing levels of automation and uh, more and more kind of built on, on top of each other and making new things possible and moving faster and faster. Um, and so you know, this is just a fact of life now. Yeah, there, there are going to continue to be lots of new innovations, lots of things coming down the pipeline, and you need really strong strategy, like I said, to help decide what's important, what's not, what do you need to focus on, and what's a threat. Uh, having solid horizon scanning is important to, to keep an eye on that and understand where and when and how things are hitting your industry. Um, and really structuring your organization to be able to deliver on change, right? So, if you don't have a good learning and development group and program uh, to help upskill people, to help them adjust to changes to policies, uh, if you don't have solid internal communications, right, to, to let people know, uh, hey, there are these large language models out here, um, but you know, by the way, if you put any proprietary data, it can end up in a public training data set for this set of tools, you know, um, you know, here, here are things you need to know about new types of fraud. Um, and, and that's not just a, a technological capability, that's a culture thing. You have to balance the, the overall sort of workload of people so that they have enough room, you have the right volume of communication, you have the right channels, you don't have too much that's duplicative, people aren't so overloaded that they don't pay attention to any of it. There's a lot of like fine tuning to, to get that right. Um, and then having a, a solid business transformation function, right, to actually deliver on projects. So projects are more and more important. Um, we often see uh, clients not paying enough attention to sort of enterprise transformation in terms of where does it sit? What power does it have? How closely do we curate and and trim our portfolio of projects? Is it all stuff that's pushed by vendors? Uh, where are our dependencies? It, it, it goes pretty deep. I won't, I won't go down to the bottom level. I'm sure folks don't, don't need uh, all of that, but there's a lot of work that can be done to improve how good your organization is at managing change. And as our environment speeds up, that becomes one of the most important things competitively. Uh, institutions that can adapt will will survive, and uh, ones that can't will will slowly become irrelevant. That's a that's a great point, and one that I've been thinking a lot about. Um, I've been working on my second book, Banking on Change. And the subtitle is How to Achieve Exponential Growth in the Age of AI. 
the book has nothing to do about AI per se. It's it's how do we uh, focus on human transformation in the context of AI? Uh, because you know, we think about the, you know the studies of digital transformation historically. It depends upon who you're reading, but they're all saying the same thing. 60 to 85% of digital transformation projects fail or fail to meet expectations. And it's not because of the technology, it's it's the human element. And so when we look at at AQ um, is something that we can measure, AQ being adaptability quotient. Um, and like EQ, AQ can be measured, it can be trained, it can be expanded. I've often worked with leaders and said, you wanna increase your AQ right now? Um, they're like, yeah take a take a cold shower for seven days and see how your mind not reacts but responds to environmental changes and it's funny because many don't take up the challenge because they're comfortable they're stuck in the cave of complacency they're comfortable with what they know and and i think that's the other thing too perspective shapes reality when working with financial brand leaders and we've been having these conversations about ai particularly chat GPT because it's just kind of a hot topic. Like I, I, look, I look at this very objectively and I, and I, have, I hold no judgment and I say, well, what's your perspective of chat GPT? And like, oh, well, that's what kids are gonna use to cheat on at school. And I go, really, why do, you, why do you feel that way? Why do you believe that way? Well, that's what I've been hearing. That's what I've been seeing on the news. And so I think back to the other point you're making, education is critical here. Um, and we have done some research studies that have found that around 70 to 80% of financial brand leaders invest one to two hours or less per week in ongoing learning and development. But when we look at some of the secondary market research uh, coming out of like Microsoft and Google, they're like, no, we need to be investing five hours a week, 10 hours a week in ongoing learning. And I think there's just this this conflict here. So I'm curious when, when it comes to AI and in this world of large language models, and you share some really good examples of how you're feeding uh, articles and even YouTube videos to get summaries. Um, I, I think of what Peter Diamandis is doing with um, a platform called Future Loop um, that I'm subscribed to. I get summaries of what's going on and it gives me the kind of the, the horizon without having to get too deep, but to kind of get the larger picture when it comes to AI and large language models, what's a misconception, a common misconception that you're hearing financial brand leaders talk about, but you have a different perspective on based upon your knowledge of the world? Sure. Um, I think that uh, it is, it's, it's largely a lot of what you said around kind of, they've seen it for one domain or maybe they spent, uh, you know, 10 minutes back in November playing around with chat GPT Mm -hmm. uh, and have a sense of, of maybe what it can do, or they've tried a few things with it, but they really don't have a good sense of holistically exactly how much it underpins in terms of new capabilities and all the different domains which this is driving forward, um, as well as having, I think there's also misconceptions around uh, thinking that it's just a, a chat bot for example, or, you know, it's, it's more like the, the old generation of intent-based uh, chatbots that, that folks may be familiar with that have replaced, uh, you know, been replacing IVRs kind of slowly over time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think it's important to kind of connect the dots here to see that, yeah, large language models are driving changes to content generation of basically every type. Um, you know, it's, video it's 
uh, text, it's audio, it's uh, you know, video editing and replacement of of, uh, of doing like video effects editing, uh, having virtual actors. Uh, it's it's voice synthesis, both for customer service and on the the negative side for for fraud and cyber threat. Um, it's it's accelerating development. It's uh, it's fueling a disruption to to art and and content creation. Um, and so there's this common sort of uh, I would say there's there's a level of understanding that you get from seeing how these things connect uh, that that helps you to make better decisions, make better use of these tools. And that's something that that we actually advocate for pretty often. It's hard to know what to do with the space with as much as is going on. Um, but given how much uh, of our just existing technologies, you know, our our loan processing and origination systems, uh, our our marketing apps, right? Um, anything that we're using for content review, generation, scheduling, um, most of those solutions, if they aren't using AI and specifically you know, the sort of large language model infrastructure in some form already, they're likely to be doing that in the future. And so there are common, you know, strengths, weaknesses, quirks, um, you know, understanding to kind of get the most out of these tools uh, that that can help across a lot of different domains. And so uh, we, in in the sort of noise that we see in the space right now, often what we recommend is a uh, Get better at change, right? As as just something that that very often needs to happen, and particularly like get get your people starting to learn and experiment with large language models in a safe context. So have an AI policy, uh, do training on large language models specifically, because there there's a lot of low hanging fruit today uh, for for FIs and particularly for for marketing and copywriting. I imagine a lot of folks are already using. Uh, large language models for for content generation, but doing so in a way that is compliant, that's safe, you know, both with regulations and with uh, your brand standards to keep your your reputation safe. Um, and having having your employees starting to learn these tools and become experienced and understand this is you know this is what they're good for, this is what they're bad for, these are the pitfalls um, will will help a lot in the future as so many more things have some level of this architecture baked into them. Um, so even if you don't know what AI product or products you're ultimately going to be using, you know, there's a, an absolute storm of them right now, and that's likely to continue for the next while, uh, having having some experience with this and making sure that that experience is being gained in a safe way uh, can only really benefit you in the future. That's a great point. It's it's almost kind of like you know going back to being a curious kindergartner um, or taking the Socratic approach to... I know I know nothing and then just getting out playing, experimenting and, and, and learning and, and looking at the world through a lens of curiosity. You're talking about some of the content, uh, you know, there's Jasper, there's copy.ai, um, even mm-hmm. I, I facilitate a workshop about building a website that sells and how that what I'm, what I'm teaching, you know, exploring the use of, of mid journey, uh, as a creative capability for UI and for UX, um, it opens up a whole new world, but it was interesting. I was working with, um, a group of marketers recently and I asked everyone in the room and there's 
couple hundred. I said, would you raise your hand if you have at least just tried, we'll just say chat GPT or any type of, of, of generative AI capability. Everyone raises their hand for the most part. Um, how many are using it on a weekly basis? I would say 70% of the hands go down. How many of you are using it on a daily basis? Maybe 5% of people had their hands left up. And I think, and I'm like, well, why? And maybe it's the fact that we have to rewire our own minds to think through this new context that AI capabilities and large language models, it's another teammate. It's, it's It's someone that I can collaborate with to co-create. Um, and it's just a different way of, of thinking, which leads to a different way of doing. Uh, but what I've found is that sometimes to bridge the gap between the thinking and the doing comes down to the feeling. It's like, I got to feel like I'm confident in this capability. And so either the capability of the AI or the capability of myself, which where, you know, I think we can talk a lot about growth opportunities and, and potential here from different lenses, but, but I want to, I'm going to turn this to the other side dangers and pitfalls and, and one you touched on and i hear people often bring this up um around voice and around video and i know that you recently did um a session and had morgan freeman uh, join you in on this conversation uh, although it wasn't morgan freeman it was a deep fake of Mormon, morgan freeman what are the potential problems or pitfalls that we need to consider as financial brand leaders when it comes to AI and large language models that that could be an impediment to future growth? Sure. So I would say there there are two really big ones and it's more more challenges to implementation um, uh, and and challenges to getting, realizing the value that you hope to realize out of them. Um, One is kind of the classic shiny object syndrome, Mm -hmm. right? Is there's all this hype. We don't know what to buy. We know, let's just find a tool, do something. Uh, and even within that, there's a lot of choices around, do you build your own? Do you fine tune a model? So on and so forth. Um, but you know, you, you don't want to have a solution in search of a problem. Um, you, you should start again from your strategy, from your priorities to understand what are we trying to do? What are the use cases that we're trying to solve for? And then, what can we do to apply large language models or more traditional AI or, or traditional software solutions to, to tackle those, right? It still needs to be based in your strategy and your prioritization for what you're doing. Um, you know, there, there are, you know, there, there are institutions I recently read an article about um, Bloomberg. Uh, they're producing their own internal uh, generative uh, you know, Bloomberg GPT basically mm. for, for, but, and they started back in, in 2020 and, uh, and they didn't really have any particular use cases in mind for it. And they've learned a lot. Uh, it's, they, and they're planning to invest even more in it. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a solution in search of a problem. So, you know, it, it's perhaps good for learning and for getting, building the skills within your organization to give yourself that kind of challenge. But it's not as good for solving business problems, right? So, so start from, from what you're trying to do. Um, you know, that, that's been true for for AI projects for, for decades and, and remains, remains true. Um, the other thing is data. So uh, SRM tends to work with organizations mostly below the 10 billion in assets mark. And a lot of them, even the larger ones, uh, tend to not have their data environments in order, right? They have data in a bunch of systems. They're not integrated. They don't talk to each other. They don't have 
a centralized data warehouse that they can query. Um, you know, they they don't have trust in their their answers to different questions they're asking. They aren't data driven enterprises from a decision making standpoint. Um, and and so, data is necessary for really any custom uh, AI implementation you want to do. You know, there there are uses. There are plenty of tools that you can buy off the shelf that will provide a level of value, but if you are planning to do something that is uh, using proprietary data that is customized to you, you're going to need the data to be able to to train it. Mm. And you're going to need to have your technical environment set up in such a way that you can hook it into an automated flow, right? So uh, there's, there's some commercial off the shelf that you'll tend to have less configuration into. And you know, there's, there's a middle ground, right? With some of these where they have some uh, built-in training either as part of the implementation or that you can do afterwards in a, in a more business-friendly way. Um, but that still requires having your data together, right? Mm. Uh, so, and that's just something that I think, you know, most CTOs we talk to, uh, it's on their list. You know, they know that they need to be better at data, but without concrete sort of use cases to point to or without like a CEO that really understands the value of data and really drives towards it, uh, those those initiatives seem to end up deprioritized fairly frequently, um, and you know if you're if you're part of the um, I'm trying to remember the statistic like 60, uh, 60 to ninety percent of institutions that think that AI is going to give you a competitive edge or that AI is a really important area of investment for you, um, then you should really think about <laughs> increasing the priority of the those data initiatives. Um, because that's that's going to be an important foundational piece to it. That's a great point on, on on two fronts: data, yes, but also perspective at the C-suite, at the C-level, executive level, CEO, um, because that will help drive prioritization. The other point you made too about potential roadblocks and pitfalls is the shiny object. Um, right now, it is like I think you mentioned as we started this conversation. It's like drinking from a fire hose separating what is hype and then what is actual practical use case that can create value. But it does come back to what's the strategic objective and tying that strategic objective back to account holder pain points or member pain points externally or looking internally. Well, how can we be more efficient uh, and free up our people's times to do more important work that leverages AI capabilities as we start to wrap up, I want to get really practical here um, and, and send someone away with, you know what? Yeah, this is a this is a big ocean to boil. Um, we don't have to do that right now. Uh, I, I want to help people increase their courage to commit to move forward with confidence. And a lot of that is by just getting a simple win and making some progress, getting some wind in the cells, if you will. What's one thing, something small, that someone who is watching or listening can do next on their own journey of growth to integrate AI or large language models into their daily operations and, and maybe maybe just starting with their own personal daily workflow and not even thinking about organizational change at this point, what would be one small thing that they can do right now? Sure. Um, next time you need to write a complicated email or a report uh, or a social media or blog post. Um, as, as long as there's no proprietary data in it, run it through GPT, right? Make it make an account with OpenAI, turn off the, the data sharing, um, and then 
use that, just ask it to copy edit, right? To make it more professional or expand on it or make it more concise, whatever, whatever you think needs to happen. Um, or even try feeding in the input email and, and ask, how should I respond this in order to accomplish whatever goal? Uh, and and just by the process of doing that, even if in the end, it, it even if it takes you more time than just drafting the email would have, you'll have learned things about how the technology works, what it can do, how to work with it. Um, and, and you may be really impressed by what it outputs. Uh, or maybe you, you won't be, right? And you'll have discovered some of the, the limitations or ways that you need to work with it um, differently in order to get what you want out of it. Uh, but that's something that's that's small, you know, easy, very low-hanging fruit. And that, you know, once you see the possibility there, it very easily scales into, hmm, okay, you know, let's let's consider using this for more of our marketing copy or, you know, uh, the, those board reports that we have to generate or those org-wide communications uh, or intranet updates. You know, I know a few CMOs who, who for whatever reason, own the intranet or the website. Um, uh, and, and you know, you can use uh, content generation, content review, you know, check things for consistency, uh, integrate new data into an old summary, right? So there's there's lots of very easy things that you can do using free tools that that are very easily available. Um, and I think seeing that possibility then, A, communicates the value of this and, and shows you the, the sort of runway that exists um, and, and makes you consider you know, if this is what we can get just with something totally out of the box, a free tool uh, for the customized tools. You mentioned Jasper uh, for content creation and marketing. There's also Canva for presentations. Uh, there's Tome AI and mm -hmm. Gamma AI. I mean, you know, any, any number, right? Um, so, so those really have much more specialized. It's, it's productizing the capabilities that you're seeing when you try that into specific use cases that have value for, for your enterprise at a more out-of-the-box level, right? So it's, it's, a, it's showing that value, and it's starting your own sort of learning journey. And, and you, may, you, may find, uh, you may find that you end up using it a lot more. And I think that's the key takeaway of all of this. It's to always be learning. Um, and great point you mentioned too, when you're trying to experiment with some of these large language models and, and GPT platforms, um, it, it might take you quote unquote longer to do what you're looking to do, but that's part of the experimentation. And I know that being mindful and aware of Hey, I'm I'm going into this to learn. It it could be faster if I did it the old way, but over time I'm going to gain back time by using this as a collaboration tool the more that I learn how to use it um in and being able to quote unquote hack time. This has been such a great conversation, Connor. I, what's the best way for someone to reach out and say hello to continue the conversation that we've started here today? Sure. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, or email me at uh, cheaton at srmcorp.com. Uh, but yeah, happy to, to chat more. Uh, we're building more and more offerings around AI advisory from a general, you know, how do we get our arms around this? How do we educate on this to more specifics of how do we develop a compliant AI policy that can be the sort of North Star as we move into this space? Um, so there's, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on and always happy to chat. Connect with Connor, learn with Connor, grow with Connor. Connor, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun today, buddy. Thanks so much, James.
Until next time, and as always, be well, do good, and be the light.